0: What's up everybody welcome to the talking chop podcast uh, This is episode 19 uh, i am your host brad Rowland, and today we have a phenomenal guest uh the great zach dillard from fox sports south what's going on zach
1: these adjectives have got to go but i'm doing good and i have a feeling this might be the most positive talking chop podcast ever just because of how the braves are playing at least at least this season um we might we might have some optimism and positivity in this
0: Yeah, we were pretty positive last week. It was kind of uh, I got some feedback, got some feedback to say that we were noticeably positive, which is not always the case. Uh, But listen, we try we try to do enough prospect talk right now to mitigate uh, the major league team. But this week we don't we don't really have to do that because the major league team is actually performing at a reasonable rate. Uh, It's very nice, to be honest with you.
1: They haven't lost a series in four series. It's weird. Eight of eleven winning eight of eleven is just unheard of in 2016. I don't know what's going on. Yeah,
0: I mean, speaking of that, I mean, they, you mentioned they won 8 of 11. They got a split this weekend against the Mets in a four-game series. There's nothing wrong with a split, uh, given this team's roster and a nice win on Sunday on getaway day, and uh, it was kind of a fun series for the most part. I mean, the one nothing loss on Saturday was kind of excruciating, but at the same time, it was a fun game for being 0-0 into the 10th or 11th or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, and then you have Julio Tehran dealing, which always helps um, the you know the the watchability factor for this team. Whenever one of these young pitchers can kind of get going, and it, it's just kind of the territory with Julio Tehran. He entered the game as the with the lowest run support in baseball. He walks away, didn't get a run, so he's you know it, it's looking like the second straight year that the Braves are going to lead in that category. Um, but overall, I mean, I think when you can have any of these young pitchers dealing. It kind of masks the—I uh, don't want to say the pain, but the—you know—it's it, kind of boring sometimes with this offense. They've gotten going a little bit every now and then, but um, yeah, when they can get a gym out of a guy like Julio Tehran, who's absolutely dealing right now, and I know we're going to get into him, um, I think that uh, it, it keeps people on on Fox Sports South, which is nice. Yeah, for me. So
0: setting traffic your way is never a bad thing. Uh, but as, as for Julio. Uh, He's currently working on a 23 inning squirrel streak, which seems good. And uh, my favorite stat from uh, from from last night actually came from you via Twitter. Uh, Julio now owns a 1.64 ERA since May 1st, which I believe is what fourth in baseball. Is that what you said?
1: It's fourth best since May 1st, as far as I could tell. At least by as far as like qualified pitchers, and and you can go down the three guys ahead of him. It's not bad company.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, I think it, uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw is involved. I don't have, yes. it. is it, is it Bumgarner? Is he the other one? And then That would be number
1: two. And then number three was Jose Fernandez. Oh, so, so those
0: guys are pretty good, I think. They're, they're
1: pretty good. I would not say that Julio Teran is in that class of pitcher, but he has pitched, um, and I know the advanced numbers don't exactly back this up in terms of his strikeout and walk rates and his home run rates a little bit higher than most would like, but um, he's pitching like an ace and like the guy that... Really, Atlanta needed him to be coming into this season. And, you know, I, I went and looked last night as far as back to back eight plus innings, zero walks, no earned runs allowed, starts and consecutive starts. It, it, it's almost unheard of in Atlanta Braves' history. Chris Medlin did it during that ridiculous 2012 run. Of course, Greg Maddox did it a couple times in 1998 and 2000. And then you have to go back, I believe, to Phil Necro, as far as I could tell. Um, so he's on a run right now that's. I don't say unprecedented but he's um it's very rare to see a guy clicking like this and it and we have to throw in the fact that the Mets offense right now is a dumpster fire and it certainly has helped has helped matters going back to back against them but um overall I think it has to be encouraging for them um it's certainly if I know everybody wants to talk about Julio Teran's trade value and whether they will whether they won't um it certainly hasn't hurt um John Coppolello's uh, at the bargaining table hasn't hasn't hurt him there, so um, it, it's it you know for a guy like Julio Cerrone who went through so many struggles last year, it's good to kind of see him um, get back up and rolling.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 very nice to see Julio kind of bounce back from last year, like you said. Um, but the, the big question though, Zach, after Saturday night,
1: is does Julio not know how to win? Oh yeah, I mean that's the most important thing when it comes <laughs> to evaluating. These pitchers is why isn't he winning? I, I mean, tried double the straight
0: face there for as long as
1: I could. I'm sorry. I don't know. He uh he, I mean this is this is turning into maybe not quite as, you know, wonky as the Shelby Miller stuff last year, but Shelby Miller, lowest run support in baseball. Julio Tehran lowest run support in baseball by a pretty comfortable margin. And earlier this season I had pointed out at some point I went back and looked, and the Braves have had at least one pitcher in the bottom 10 of run support in six straight years. Um, I, I'm pretty sure no other team has done that. And it goes all the way back to like Derek Lowe got nothing in like, I don't know, something like 2011. Oh, the Derek um, Lowe era. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, this is a trend. Uh, I think that, you know, Atlanta's, uh, you know, Roger McDowell has, has had to probably had a few counseling sessions with at least one guy every year um, dating back to the Derek Lowe days.
0: Yeah, it's never fun, but you know that's why we have these numbers that we all uh, trust, or maybe sometimes overtrust. Um, but in Julio's case, I think he's pitching better than the advanced stats indicate, and it's kind of a guy. He's kind of a guy that fits that mold uh, a lot, given you know he's not the highest strikeout rate guy, and that well that'll burn you in a lot of a lot of these advanced stats. But his control has been good lately, and he's just uh, his control, you know, command also, which is not the same as control. We should mention uh, has been has also been quite good. So. Uh, while we're on Julio, I don't want to do a ton on this, but you know, where are you on the Julio? Should they, shouldn't they trade uh situation? I'm not going to ask you for specific names. We got a lot of questions about that one and to put together packages for, for Julio. That's, it's very difficult to do that. And I know that, so I'm not going to put you on the spot there, but where are you on the uh, possibility of them actually maybe shopping him, even if the team is saying publicly that they're not, that they're not doing that right now.
1: Right. John, uh, I guess in that ask copy session said that Julio is, uh, not a trade chip right now, but i I think the biggest issue when it comes to you know trading Julio or even having that conversation is the level of expectations because when you look at Julio Tehran, you have to you, you can't help but go back to this past winter and look at Shelby Miller and the package that they got for him, which was absurd, and you know you get two top five prospects in the system plus an everyday outfielder. Gold Glove Caliber Center Fielder in and Ender Nziarte. Shout out to Dave yeah.
0: Stewart. Well, yeah. over here. Shout out to Dave Stewart.
1: So, unless they're trading him to Arizona, I have a hard time believing that Julio Tehran is going to uh, be such a home run package, despite the fact that Julio Terran is essentially the same age as when Shelby Miller was traded. His numbers, if you go through 16 starts this season and Shelby Miller's 16 starts last year, are eerily similar. Um, so Julio Teran has been putting up great numbers. I would argue that Julio Teran has a longer track record of success. Um, Shelby Miller had a really good rookie season, sophomore slump, good in Atlanta. We know what he's doing in Arizona. Um, and then he also has the contract. He offers an extra year of club control that Shelby Miller did not at a locked-in, club-friendly deal. And despite all of these factors, I really can't promise if they're going out on the market, unless there's an absolute bidding war that they're gonna pull a, a Swanson Blair ncrt type deal, um, I, I, I just I think the expectation level that this is what you know good young pitchers get, it's not always like that. It's not always the case. So um, I've been kind of swayed against trading Julio Tehran because I don't know how much MLB ready players, you know, how much MLB ready talent they're going to get back. Um, I don't know. Where do you stand on this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're basically in the same line of thinking here. I'm, I'm, way, I'm way in with you on the fact that uh, Julio a, has a better, a longer track record than Shelby did at the same time. I think I made that point either last week or week before as well. And listen, uh, the Dave Stewart uh, <laughs> comparisons are definitely obvious and uh, the Braves got the better of that deal. There's no question about it, but um i'm with you man i think i think keeping him is probably um the best option in a vacuum obviously we don't know what's out there 100 percent, but i would have a hard time seeing a, a realistic package that the brands are going to accept especially knowing how vocal they've been now copy's been pretty pretty out there with saying that he's not available essentially um and you know it only take one ridiculous offer to get him to go back on that in my opinion but at the same time like it's gonna take. It might take a ridiculous offer, and the Braves can afford to have a high asking price right now on him because of the contract. Like you said, the value is super high. He's pitching very well, and you know they've been pretty uh, outward about how the, fa- the the fact that they want to compete next year. Um, maybe not be like a, a legitimate World Series contender, but at least be a very competitive team in 2017. And if they if they trade if they trade Julio, that's a lot harder to do next year because right now he's the only guy we'll get into matt whistler a couple guys later but he's the only guy that i would i would characterize as super safe to be good next year on the uh, on the current roster so if you if you send that guy packing even if it's for a great return um it's probably going to involve some prospects down the line that you're waiting on more like the guys you already have and if they want to compete next year um julio being on the roster is probably the easiest way to do that
1: it is it is really easy to forget at the winter meetings that Shelby Miller, that deal was the product of a bidding war. Uh, Zach Grinke had just signed with Arizona. The Los Angeles Dodgers and San Francisco Giants were in on Shelby Miller. Uh, the Braves made it known that he was available in the trade market, and essentially Arizona just came in and outbid the others, obviously overpaid. Um, but that was a product of a bidding war. So if you were going to get anything close with Julio Tehran, uh, I think you need to make it known on the trade market. It doesn't have to be to us the media or fans but you have to let other gms know hey this guy's available um you know best offer wins uh i i when you have a guy that's this good because you can just look at the shelby deal as an example a bidding war is always the best way to go
0: yeah for sure and then they may do that and that'd be the only way that they uh the return will be big enough like you said um the teams that you always hear you got your bostons and those kind of teams that are that are capable of throwing like, throwing together huge packages, but uh, you know most of these not even rumors. Most of the speculations is they're all including these uh, these high end prospects, and that's great. Um, but at the same time, like it's got to be at least in their minds a little bit that they're going to want to sell some tickets next year. They're going to want to win some games next year in the new ballpark and selling off their top their top most established pitching pitcher uh, in the system right now what, would be a pretty aggressive move unless they're absolutely bowled over
1: yeah and and any team like a boston Red sox for example uh you know you have all these top prospects, but uh, you know any any young player under club control that could even be, that's playing in the majors right now. They're not getting rid of, you know, Xander Bogarts, uh, Mookie Betts. Like those guys yeah. aren't. Those guys aren't moving.
0: It's going to be so. Mankata or one of those guys. And at the same time, yeah, like Andrew
1: Benintendi, yeah,
0: yeah. It's Monkata the guy that you know you hear the most out of, and he's he's a, probably a middle infielder long term, and that's kind of the one position that the Braves don't theoretically need.
1: Or oh, do they have guys guys that play those positions? Uh, yeah,
0: we we won't do a ton on those guys today, but those guys are pretty good. I think Swanson and Albies have some uh, some good futures. So, uh, all right, we'll get off Julio for now. There's there's plenty to talk about there in the next month before the deadline. Uh, and we'll come back to that, I'm sure. Um, in the news this week, um, this actually happened last week, right before we uh, recorded, and we talked about it a little bit, but we got the firm timeline now on Malik Smith. He's going to be out eight to 10 weeks from the time he uh, went on the DL. Um, Malik was kind of coming around at the plate before he got. I know we haven't talked a ton about Malik's, uh, you and I. Um, I want to know what you think about Malik's in terms of ceiling. There's been a lot of talk about what he's going to be long-term, especially at the plate. Um, But, you know, right now he he already has an 88 WRC plus, which is not great but not horrible by any means. Um, 14 stolen bases this year and uh, seven defensive runs saved and really – He's been excellent in all the advanced defensive metrics this year. So, what do you see from Alex? Is he a starting center fielder long term? Talk about a fourth outfielder. What do you see from Alex?
1: Yeah, I think uh, he's going to have to continue to add with his bat to become an everyday regular. But I do think he's a fringy type starter uh, bench option. But on this team, I think he was a real key um, in 2016. Uh, when he went down, um, the Braves were actually, uh, knock on wood, were doing pretty good in these small ball type categories in, in the month of June, they were top six in steals, doubles, triples, and defensive war. When Malik Smith went down, they were playing good defense. They were kind of getting the job done on the base paths. I honestly thought that it would have more of an effect. Uh, I think Nick Marquez hitting a little bit better of late has helped. Um, but I thought he, I thought it'd be and Jeff Francoeur hasn't been good since Malik's went down, but I thought he was kind of a key for what they were trying to do. And, the fact that they have such little power um, that he could get on the base pass, cause some havoc, plays good defense. Um, I, I don't know. I when it when it comes to moving forward with Malik, I do think that he could be a potential option if he starts hitting as a starter. It depends on you know what they have coming up the pipeline. Um, you know if they acquired anybody else, but um, overall, as far as the twenty sixteen season. Uh, I thought he was a key for that small ball, and, it, and this won't this won't help his you know development moving forward either. You know he was actually getting going, and uh, we'll see what he looks like when he comes back.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that they take their time with maleks uh, The eight to ten week timeline's kind of been out there. I would hope they err on the side of caution and assume that they will. Uh, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, at least you know at least we, we speculate on that uh, not always being the case with some of these guys trying to rush back. But hopefully, given that the Braves are pretty much out of it this year. They can take their time with a guy like Malik's, who is super talented. Um, I'm kind of with you. He's kind of a fringy guy. Our our old pal Carlos Collazo, our long-departed podcast co-host, is not a big fan of Malik's and um, spent some time early in the season kind of pouring water on it, and I was kind of with him. Um, The expectations might be a little bit out of control for some people. Uh, in Braves country but at the same time Malik's defense and that speed really play it's kind of weird to see uh, some guys running uh, a lot on this team right now the Braves have been one of those teams that are not stealing bases over the last few years Uh, so to see Malik's uh, when he gets on base kind of running wild and along with Ender Enciarte um, that's been actually kind of fun to watch it's a it's a thing that the Braves haven't had a lot of recently and that's something Malik's can do but for me uh, the bats got to play better, like you mentioned. Um, even if it's not, I don't, I really don't think power is ever going to come, um, at least not at a high level. But if if he, it's, it's the on base skills for a guy like Malx who you would hopefully think he would be uh, trying to profile himself as a as a lead off hitter. But he's got to get on base more to be doing that long term, and uh, you know, playing center field well helps helps a lot to, uh, for guys to stay in the lineup. I think we've seen that with Ender Inciarte. Um, I don't think Inciarte is ever going to hit at a super high level, but when you're when you're that good defensively, it really helps at a premium position to help you justify that lineup spot. And Malick's might be doing a pretty similar thing there. Um, one more thing on on Malik's. We've talked about it uh, a couple times here, but I want to know how, what you think. Um, I think it's an issue long term um, to have both Malek and, and NCRT, especially if you're talking about having Nick Mark in the lineup, just because none of those guys have power. Um, what do you think about having an outfield issue like that when, you know, left, left, center, and right, none of those guys really bring power to the table? Is that a lineup construction issue for, for you, a roster building issue for you long term, or is that something that might, might just sort itself out?
1: I think it could sort itself out, but I'm with you that power is incredibly important. And I think the biggest thing that we did see out of Malik's um a little bit this season when he was going is gap to gap power. He can show you know, he shows that he can, you know, put it out there and get, you know, get running and get some doubles and triples and stuff like that. But as far as the way they are constructed right now, um I do not think that this is sustainable. Um, especially with the guy like Nick Marcakis who not only doesn't bring power, but he really doesn't uh, really fit the type of small ball type mentality that you can go with with Ender and Ciarte and Malik's is that, you know, okay, well, we can, you know, try and get on base, try and, you know, shoot the gaps, try and steal, you know, try and be aggressive on the base paths, play really good defense. That's not who Nick Marcakis is at this point in his career. So uh, in the 2016 context, uh, I I don't think that it's a major issue because they have, you know, major issues everywhere. Um, but in terms of can it look like this moving forward um, I don't I don't think so um, I, I I just don't think that you can have an outfield in the 20 in 2016 um, an outfield or 2017 an outfield that just provides zero power um, I, I don't think that that's sustainable especially when you don't really have you know a third baseman that really hits for power you don't really have a catcher that hits for power um, it It just overall obviously it's it's come back to bite them this season but Moving forward, they're going to have to address that at some point, and I think corner outfield is a pretty easy way to start.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that I think you you might be able to get get away with it um, in a vacuum if you had power like basically everywhere else, but because you don't, and you know, long term, uh, we talked about Swanson and Albie's. I think Swanson's got a little bit of power, but Albie's is not going to hit for power. Um, so you're talking about uh, you know you're penciling in uh, your middle infield. You know, you're not expecting to get power out of those guys anyway, but they're not going to probably hit for a ton of it. Uh, third base has been a black hole, as you mentioned, so it's catcher. So <laughs> getting power somewhere would be good. Um, actually, this kind of transitions into a, one of our mailbag questions this week um, from Chris Klein. He asked what the chances are that uh, Nick Marquegas is traded by the deadline. Um, just for background, Marquez currently has a 340 on on-base percentage, which is just fine, uh, but only a 354 slugging uh, and only two homers on um, this season. He does have 21 doubles, which is nice, but um, Marquez, you know, a below-average defender. Um, what do you what do you think about you know possibly putting him on the market? Um, obviously, I think everybody's pretty much available outside of maybe Julio and Freddie. Um, but Marcus, what kind of return would the Braves be looking for there? Could they get anything of value for him? And if they can't, is it worth it for them to kind of put him out there just to get him kind of off the books and open up the spot?
1: I would be shocked if they can get anything more than just for, for context for people, a B level prospect. Um, I think the main reason that you try and move Markekis would be to get the money off the books. He still owed $22 million after this season. um, and when he's going good, he's, he's a decent player. I think last year when you look at his war, he lived up to the contract. He was fine. Um, this season has been a little bit streakier, and when he's not hitting, he's a one-tool player. He doesn't give you anything on the base pass. He actually has a pretty good defensive run save, but I think his defense hasn't been very good this season, just um, my personal opinion there. Um, I, I just think that he doesn't provide anything else Um, when he's not, you know, hitting singles and doubles, that's, that's basically his ceiling at this point. So if you're trading that guy and you go to another GM and you say, Hey, still a $22 million. Um, he's healthier. Um, he's played pretty much every game since neck surgery. So I don't think that's been an issue. I just think this is who he is now. And I, I feel the same way a little bit about Freddie Freeman, and that when you try and trade these guys, if they have this much money on the books, I think everybody thinks, well, they're an everyday starter for us. Well, you're paying them. Um, you know, you're asking another team, hey, pick up this contract into his age 34 season. I don't think that's very easy. So if they do move them, I think it's less about getting a dominant prospect. You're not getting, you know, a, a, you know, a Sean Newcomb for this guy. Um, it's more about just getting the money off the books and opening up some space, but they don't really have any outfielders coming out the pipeline. So, um, that's one big circular way of saying I would have traded him a long time ago, but, um, I I don't know how much you can expect in return.
0: Yeah. I I think, uh, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I, I wouldn't have, (laughs) I wouldn't have signed him. Uh, but once that contract's on the books, I think you're right. Last year he did earn that contract. I was one of the more vocal detractors of the contract when they signed it um but it was never about year you know year 1 year 2 it was always the age and the downside yeah um, i think we've start we you know we started to see that um this is a guy who basically has to be like a 36370 on base percentage guy to have real value uh and if he doesn't do that uh you mentioned that he doesn't really do anything else so and having him play right field it's just that's a position where you basically need power at least some some level of power especially if you don't have any in left I think you, you might be able to get away with it if you had power in left field, but Marquez probably is a left fielder defensively now. Also, um, even though the Braves are you know they're paying him big money and there's no reason to move him to left field this year, but if they were to keep him, I'd like to see him play left field more than right field, just because of the defensive uh, the defensive value that, that that has. Versus, I think you you know look around the league and most of these teams that have a black hole outfielder, they're usually playing left and not right. Um, especially when you have in uh, in CRT and Malik's who are both above average defenders. Um, that's a small thing in a, uh, in a, in a big sense, but uh, I would be definitely looking to unload Marqueca's contract. And look, you mentioned not having any outfielders behind them. That's absolutely true. But I also think that in the very near future, um, if, especially if they want to compete in 2017, like we talked about, they're going to be pushing some of these young, some of these young pitchers to the, to the trade market, maybe looking sure. for some established outfield talent. Cause you know, between outfield, third base, and catcher, they're going to have to do something at one of those, or at least one of those spots, in order to realistically compete next year.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, it, and I think they've reached, I think this offseason they will reach that pivot point of, okay, we're going to start flipping prospects for help as they move into SunTrust Park. I just have, I just have this weird feeling that they're going to want to be, if not competitive, um, I don't think anybody is realistically projecting a playoff, Type run, but I think they are going to want in their new stadium to put a more competitive product on the field um, so I do think they'll spend a little bit of their money. I could see them flipping some of their um, pitching prospects that maybe they've soured on a little bit um, to get a bat. but uh, yeah I would, I would say that Marcus's out, um, corner outfield role is a, is a you know i don't want to call it a black hole because this guy when he's hitting is a still he's still a major league hitter he can he can be in a lineup. I agree, but, for sure. But overall, um, he's just become this really weird player. Um, I looked this up earlier. Only three times since 1901 has a player logged 600 plate appearances, slugged below 360, and not stolen, not stolen a single base. So basically, like that's, that's kind of who he is. He's, he may not steal a single base this season. He may not have a slugging percentage over 360, but he's going to be in the lineup every single day. And he's just become this really weird... Um, outfielder that provides you no power but also no speed. And it's, it's this really um, – con- it's a convergence of a lot of different really weird things with Nick Marcakis. Um, but I'm with you. I, you know, I think it, eventually they're going to have to move him. I don't see him being here through the, through the life of this contract.
0: Yeah, it's, it's truly bizarre, as you mentioned, to have that kind of guy. Especially, you know, I'm not sure what the Braves front office thought of him when they, when they brought him in defensively. But, um, you know, it would have made more sense if you believed Marcus was the quote gold glove outfielder that he was billed to be um I never believed that in the year twenty whenever he signed that contract twenty fourteen twenty fifteen uh that never made sense to me having seen him more recently um earlier in his career like he was a he was a at least an average defender, if not a little bit better than that, but now that he's not that anymore in my opinion, you know average at very best, and that's not something that I believe but some, even if you believe that um he'd have to be a much better than that to uh to be. Or uh, in this type of contract, with without the power or the speed, like we talked about. Um, in that vein, uh, since we t- since we kind of talked about it a little bit, um, one of our mailbag questions this week also came from Jorge Hernandez, and he basically asks us, in short, um, that you know John Coppola said in his uh, in his Q and A that the Braves have more money to spend than he, than they been ever in his ten years. Um, that was that's not a direct quote, but that was basically the gist of one of the uh, one of the quotes from Copy. Um, but basically, he's asking uh, what free agents or what, and I'm going to add what positions could the Braves spend that on? Because you know, free agency is a dicey thing uh, in Major League Baseball, especially with the money kind of getting out of control. And this this uh, ownership group has sort of kept the Braves on a realistically tight budget. Um, so, what do you think the Braves could do in free agency? I'm not going to ask you for names, but you know, just general plans on what kind of spending they could do this summer. I mean, this winter, I
1: should say. I think the easiest place to look if they do not move Marquecas, because that could be a corner outfielder. You could find some different guys there. But I think, just given this current roster right now, I think they could look at third base. Um, you know, when you look at the pipeline right now, Austin Rio Ryan, Austin Riley's a little ways away, and I'm a I'm a Rio Ruiz fan. I think he, that he deserves every shot. To compete for the job in 2017 um, preseason, I thought that he could be a 2016 September option, and he may still be. Um, but I think with I don't think that Adonis Garcia is a long term fit or solution. I think that they could walk away from that this um, this winter. Uh, and Grant McCauley, our, our guy over at 92.9, he's, he's floated out a reunion with Martin Prado. Um, Oof! I it's. I get it. He but. could be a, he could be a fit. I would give him a one or two year deal. Maybe um, it's not going to be the the flashy name that everybody thinks is going to come in and save the day. He's not even the same player he was back in Atlanta. Um, it, but I could see a third base type of fit if Rio Ruiz doesn't um, have a strong second half and the if the organization doesn't trust him to be ready. I mean, this guy's one of the youngest players still in the international league. So um, if they don't trust him to be ready, I could see them looking at third base. Um, I I just don't see them becoming you know everybody says well they have all this money they're going to go out and spend it um, I don't really see them becoming the you know the New York Yankees they're not going to go and throw money around like the Dodgers just, that's just not part of this rebuilding plan and pretty much anybody that you can get in free agency probably doesn't fit your rebuilding window so I, I just don't see them spending major cash I could see them making maybe an upgrade at one or two positions tops.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely with you on. I think all of that. I think Prado would be an interesting option if they thought that Ruiz was going to be ready, sort of as insurance. Sure. To have a guy come in and compete with Ruiz, and you know probably be be cool with a backup role if Ruiz is good. Um, That that would make some sense. But if you're talking about if the Braves wanted to get you know an above average starter, uh, Prado's not that at third base right now. I like Prado. I always have, but that's a guy who, in his prime, was certainly worth worth that. But it was uh, a lot of his value always came from versatility as well. Um, so that would be a, he'd be a great backup option or insurance for Ruiz. But um, I don't know. It's one of those things where you're looking at free agency and you you hear these kind of statements that copy said that they have more money than they've had in a long time, and that's that's all true. But uh, in free agency, you're either overpaying um, or you're getting guys that aren't that good. It's kind of Everybody gets overpaid. If they hit the market, they're probably old, number one, as you mentioned. They're probably not on this timeline. And if they're not old, they're going to make so much money that it almost doesn't matter. Um, they're not going to jump into the – I mean it's not – this is theoretical. He's not a free agent, but they're not going to jump into the Bryce Harper conversation. They're just not. Right. Right. It's going to be $40, $50 million a year. That's not a made-up figure. Like He's going to make that money. Which is crazy, it might sound insane to most fans to, to pay anybody that, but that's the what the high end guys are gonna make thirty million dollars moving forward. That's just that's kind of the realities of the situation. So um, I think they're more more apt to go go get go get a guy in trade that makes a lot of money. Uh, or not not necessarily a lot of money, but more money. Um, if they do the free agent route, you know, I would look at catcher only because sure. you know, catcher the free agent I mean, the market in general is weak at Catcher. Um, but given that Pruszynski almost certainly going to retire um, after this year or at least not be an, a very attractive option, um, they're going to need to fill that. I mean, that, that's always been a stopgap option in recent years, and it probably will be for the next couple. They don't really have that guy waiting in the wings. Uh, Ruiz, you can talk yourself into at third base. They don't really have that guy at catcher. So, you know, throwing a short-term contract that's probably an overpay at a veteran catcher sure. might make some sense if they're trying to compete. Um, but aside from that, it's it's corner outfield um, and third base. So um, it's all theoretical now because we don't know who's ev- who's even going to be available uh, and, wh- and what kind of you know money the Braves are really going to try to throw out. Even if they have it, I think this I think copy's wise enough to know that they're not going to just spend it to spend it because um, that that messes you up in the long term when you're going to have to hopefully be talking about long term extensions for a lot of these young guys if they start panning out. So it's 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 about responsible spending and that may not be as fun as a lot of fans want it to be and mean you know turn it into 90 wins next year but hopefully they're going to be at least somewhat fiscally responsible so that so that they're not selling people off in a year or two.
1: Yeah, I think Tyler Flowers could be a decent option next year as a starter as long as they got a backup. If it had to, you know, if they aren't going to go out and spend money um Oh yeah, he's, I, I mean he's I, a
0: starter I, now essentially but
1: Right. And even if he is the backup, he's on a really good deal. Um he's he's on a good deal as a backup catcher. So um, I think that that signing was under the radar really strong for them. Um, one of the best ways, and I know this is this is theoretical um, thinking, and it's harder to be in the GM's chair and to go out and do this, but I think one of the better ways to spend money now is to find a, a younger type of option through the trade market that is maybe coming up on his deal and then extending him. Um, again, this is a whole lot easier said between me and you talking than it is like calling up another general manager. But I think that, um, that could be a better way to, um, get some guys a little bit closer to your window. Um, and you know, get them in your system and then you try to extend them, even if they have one or two years left to control. Um, that would be the way that I would try to spend money. I'm not saying it's the easiest thing to do because pretty much everyone in baseball is trying to hold on to their best young players. Um, everybody sees what's going on in the free agent market. So um, it's not, it's not easy. I think that just given how many teams are hanging on and extending their young players, um, you almost have to have homegrown markets and then it, or spend $300 million on the, on the open market for guys like Bryce Harper. And I know he'll probably get mad at me that I didn't say 500 million. So,
0: I mean, it's going to be more than 300. I'm unless he, unless he tails off here.
1: Oh, it's definitely, um, definitely going to be more than three. I don't know if it's going to be more than four. Uh,
0: sure. I mean, just think about that, though. Think about the ridiculousness I know. of that statement. Like, I know. It's going to be more than three. Like, we, we just brushed that off. But like, the brands are not spending that. I, I don't care. No. I mean, Li- Liberty Media might they, they might, loosen, might loosen things up a little bit as far as the purse strings uh, in the new ballpark with that, with that new revenue stream. But in the end, this is not going to ever be, um, under, this, under this ownership group, there's not going to be a top five spending team. It's just not. I don't see that happening. So, this is not Ted Turner when he went out and just kind of just bought guys that he needed, like Greg Maddox. They signed Greg Maddox, cutting off the Cy Young Award win. Um, that's not happening now.
1: Right. It's just not No, I, I, think, I think way too many people overlooked that, too. They're like, oh, they grew all their talent at home and everything was all good. It's like, eh, they. Fred McGriff. They went out and traded for Fred McGriff and then signed, you know, one of the top. Hitters in baseball to an extension. They go, went out and signed go, a Cy Young Award winner. It's
0: go back it, and look at it. I mean, the the payrolls were like in the top two or three of the league yep. for basically that whole stretch. Yep. Like after, I mean, the, the first couple of years when they, you know, the, the worst of first team in '91, all that stuff was that was real. That was you know, right. not a huge buy. But once they got good '93, '94, '95, they were paying big salaries. They so just, they,
1: they kept restocking. Um, through that, and there were some Andrew Jones type talents that came through the system, um, but yeah, um, overall, I mean, they they stocked with money, and times have changed. They have to do it differently this time. It's sure. just the it's just the way that these things work.
0: Absolutely. Um, before we move off of the uh, the general manager, um, since we brought up that, that last time, Copy did that Q and A that we've talked about and referenced a couple times this week. Um, right. One of the more interesting things I thought. Um, was that he basically admitted defeat in in terms of the Alex Wood, Jose Peraza, Hector Oliveira trade. Uh, And I quote, he said that it was a bad trade for us and one that I wish we had back. All we can do is learn from it and move forward. I was shocked that he said this publicly, uh, even if he's correct, because I think he is, and I thought it at the time. But what do you think about Copy, you know, sort of uh, admitting this publicly this soon after the trade? And, you know, just basically his whole approach to uh, doing media recently and being as open as he's been?
1: The statement was as impressive in its transparency um, as it was unimpressive in its execution from day one. (laughs) That's Um, a good point. uh, This deal was transparently bad from the very start. And uh, Me and you are on the same page of this. We've talked uh, plenty of times. Um, Two major deals that they have made did not make any sense to me. Uh, Nick Marchakis on a four-year deal and getting Hector Oliveira for a pretty decent package. Um, it, it, at least Nick Marquez has become an everyday player. Um, he's basically been on the field and helped them. But this Hector Olivera deal has been, you know, I, it's been their biggest blunder. And for John, you know, for him to go on and say, for Copy to go on there and just basically straight out say it, you know, you have to give him credit for that because it would have been really easy to say, well, hindsight is 20-20 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We'll see how it works out from here. Um, it, when pretty much everyone knows that this has not worked out. And, you know, I don't think that we should keep, you know, holding, you know, heart and copy to like these standards of perfection. They're, they're going to make mistakes in these things. You have to judge the overall body of work. But, you know, this one has this one's been bad. Um, I, I would say that. Um, he's definitely one of the biggest black eyes of any player, just given that the suspension, 82 games for domestic violence, um, biggest black eyes of almost any Braves player that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, it, it's been bad. Um, you know, they got Paco Rodriguez and Zach Bird some nice arms in the deal. But I think the only true redeeming quality of that trade is that it secured the rights to what eventually became Joey Wentz. That's about it.
0: Yeah, that was, that's a good thing that people are overlooking, but uh, in their minor defense, and copies minor defense, I don't think uh, they obviously could have seen the domestic violence issue coming. No, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, You're right, so right. I, I know we have, we, I should just say that in case anybody's wondering. Um, but even from a baseball perspective, Oliveira being as old as he was, 30 when they traded for him, uh, it just didn't make a ton of sense. It never has to me. Um, some people have pointed to the fact that Alex Wood hasn't been very good with the Dodgers, and that's, that's a fair point. But um, you gave away a, a very, very low-cost option, um with a bright future in wood and oliveira was not and basically a non-prospect and they you know they got they got a lot of financial relief from the dodgers uh, on his contract but at the same time you know basically there's a chance that he returns literally nothing like we don't know what the braves are going to do w- once he's back from suspension whether they're just going to plug him in and start playing him again i'd be kind of surprised if they did that to be honest um so there's a chance that he basically just is a zero on uh, you know on a, on a long-term contract and they have to figure out they can't trade it i mean they i'm they've already been they've already said that they're trying they, they, they've at least called around to try to trade it and kind of been laughed out of the room that's been the uh and that, that's not surprising nobody's going to want to trade for a guy who's a proven nothing as a baseball player and b you know has this domestic violence issue hanging over him um with a long-term suspension so um the trade was awful but i was i was certainly impressed The copy said look you don't see this kind of thing this close to a trade. That, that deal was, what, less right. than a year ago? Yeah. And well, he's already yeah. admitting failure? Like It's kind of crazy that he was able to do that that, um, that quickly and that, you know, frankly.
1: I think that the fact that he is doing that at least adds a little bit of um, credence to the idea that they are going to walk away from him. Um, if, I agree. If, if he went out and said, well, we'll see how it all pans out, um, I think I think that... It would look like, at least you know, optics-wise, like they were still going to give it more of a chance. But by saying that, um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that they are going to have to eventually just walk away and eat that money. Now, the the good news for their bank accounts and you know nothing else is the fact that the Dodgers did you know take on most of that signing bonus and they don't have to pay him you know essentially the sixty something million dollars that he originally signed for when he was coming over, but um, it's, it's a bad deal, and anyone that wants to say Alex Wood hasn't been dominant, fine. Um, maybe he hasn't, but just know that the Braves are go- going to go the entire season, barring a Manny Manuelis resurgence. They're going to go an entire season without a single left-handed start this entire year. That would not be the case with Alex Wood. They would also not be going through these growing pains with you know, Aaron Blair and Casey Kelly and all these guys. Alex Wood would at least be securing a spot in this rotation, um, which is much more than we can say for Hector Oliveira at this point.
0: For sure. And, you know, last thing on that, it's just the money, the money still matters because of the fact that we talked about it. This is a team that's going to have a fairly set payroll. Even if it's higher, um, they're going to be paying Hector Olivera. Um, yep. And that's, that's taking money from somewhere else that they could be using it. So that matters, uh, and I, I tend to agree with you that I don't think he's going to – if you ask me whether he's going to play again for the Braves, I'm going to say no. Like I don't have any inside information on that. That's just my opinion, and as you mentioned, him saying this publicly kind of pours a little bit on that as well, just to think that um, if you're Hector Oliver and you see that, if they've admitted that it was a bad trade to get you, uh, that might be an indication that they're ready to move on.
1: I mean, This is just the ugly reality of sports too. It's this, you know, it's this horrendous – act that we've seen a couple times under this new policy, but when you have a guy like Aroldis Chapman, who had an extremely ugly incident, he still ends up on a team immediately once his suspension is done, because he's a really good pitcher. Um, Jose Reyes, um, another extremely ugly incident, um, again, he had to take a minor league deal just to get back with the Mets, and that came under public outcry from Mets fans that they didn't want, basically a guy that was associated with this Back on the team now. Hector Oliveira has the longest suspension on record of any of those guys, and he hasn't proven anything. The ugly reality of sports, whether you want to look at um, what's ba- what's going on in baseball or you want to look at what happened with Greg Hardy in the NFL, the the fact of the matter is is that these teams, when a guy is that productive, they will find a way to swallow the PR. Um, when they are not, it makes it a lot easier to walk away from. And um, an 82 game suspension for domestic violence for a guy that hasn't produced. Um, I just have a really hard time with him finding a home, not only in Atlanta, but anywhere in Major League Baseball once he's you know, off that suspension. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it happening.
0: Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I don't think he's done enough uh, to show to really give, that, give, give teams a reason to go out and risk that risk that PR like you talked about. Um, we'll do a couple more quick things before I let you go, Zach. A um, couple of notes from the pitchers um, in the system. Uh, Mike Fulton-Navich uh, had a rehab appearance at Gwinnett on Saturday, and he was awesome. Uh, four innings, five strikeouts, no walks, no earned runs, one hit allowed. Um, Fulte's a guy that you've kind of caped for in the in the recent past. Uh, how exciting is that to see him kind of com- getting back? And uh, what do you think about him moving forward the rest of this year and long
1: term? He seems to stay healthy. It, I, I feel like that this guy could be something uh, moving forward. And I know I'm saying this for a guy that has, what, a 0.2 war this season and a 4.69 fielding independent pitching. This isn't like the numbers aren't there. I think everybody knows that. But when you see this guy pitch, when he is on, he is a worth the price of admission, and B, he's worth a long term shot in the system as a starter. Um, he's just got to stay healthy, though. These, uh, you know, some of these are kind of fluky incidents with the, you know, the blood clot, the rib thing last year. But um, overall, this is two, you know, stints on the disabled list in, you know, about four or five months of the be- of past two baseball seasons. So. Um, if he just stays healthy, um, I'm still pretty high on him. If he continues to have these sorts of weird injuries, um, you can't help but kind of hit the brakes on that.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, but I know you. Lo- I know you like Fulton and you're high on him. Is he like, if he was still a prospect right now, would he be at the like in the top three or four guys in the system for you, or is like I'm trying to gauge where you are on his uh, on his overall like future? I'm, being that he's a little bit older than these guys, we'll say that ahead of time, but like comparing him to the uh, to the more upper tier guys like like the Sean Newcombs, those kind of guys that are in, in the system right now where would he be if he wasn't if he was still a prospect
1: um i think he you know comparing him to Newcombs is interesting but only because that they have this extremely great stuff but they have command issues and they need to solve all of that but i think he'd be somewhere around the you know around the Lucas Sims when you look at you know the 7 8 9 10 range maybe um i just think he has that grade of stuff and, you know, the numbers may not back it up. But overall, I think that when you look at these really high-ceiling arms, um, a guy like Tuki Toussaint, um, you Toussaint. Know, oh, I love six,
0: Tuki. That's my guy.
1: You know, he's a guy that really dealt with some command issues, mechanical issues, and trying to harness all of that potential. I would put Fulton Nevich in there. I know that they're not the same age, but he's having the same sorts of issues. So um, I don't think a top five... But I think he's still a top 10 type prospect in the system as far as his ceiling.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a big Felty fan also. Um, Speaking of guys that uh, you're a fan of, uh, you absolutely love Matt Whistler. I should tell everybody that now, that you will not find a bigger Matt Whistler fan than Zach Dillard. Um, So where are we with Matt Whistler? Uh, Right now he has a 4.22 ERA, 4.63 FIP. 6.12 6.12 strikeouts per nine, 2.61 walks per nine this season. Uh, he's been, you know, we, we, we talked about it before we started recording, that Whistler, this is not the best time to talk about <laughs> Matt Whistler. But at the same time, uh, he's shown some flashes this year. What do you think about Whistler uh, this year? And, um, you know, obviously he's not as high of a ceiling guy as some of these guys uh, that, we, that we talked about. But where, is, where do you think he uh, lands long-term to?
1: It's a hell of a time to bring up Matt Whistler. I'm um... sorry, it's
0: because you came <laughs> on this week. I have to ask you about Matt Whistler, even if, if timing's not great.
1: No, it's, uh, it's fine. I, I think that he fits into, and I was talking with Brian Bridges, uh, the team scouting director. Name um, drop, name drop. No, I was just, <laughs> so I was talking a little bit about him with, uh, with Ian Anderson, and so much of what he was saying about Anderson really stuck out to me that also applies to Whistler. in uh, the feel for pitching, um, not necessarily the high-ceiling arm, he's not going to blow away the radar gun, although he did hit 97 coming out of the pin earlier this year. Um, I just think that he's gotten a better feel of pitching this year and the numbers haven't, you know, taken this dramatic rise, but in talking with Whistler, I think he's one of the most cerebral, if not the most cerebral pitcher on the entire roster. Uh, when you talk with him, he understands what's going on. He can articulate what is happening on the mound. And I think especially with his fastball command, he's gotten a lot better this year. He really needs to kind of hone in on his off off speed stuff. But overall, he's gotten better against lefties. He's struggled a little bit lately. Um, but he was one of the worst pitchers in all of baseball last year against left-handed hitting. Um, he's corrected that at least a little bit. Um, I still have high hopes for him. I think he's tops um, on a really good team, probably a number three guy. But I think he could be a really, really good number three. Um, and it's easy to forget that Matt Whistler is younger than Aaron Boyer, Tyrell Jenkins, John Gant, he's younger than all these guys. He just he's been up a little bit longer, so we assume that he should be making the same strides that pretty much everyone makes at their sophomore, you know, type of season. Um, but I, I still have high hopes. I'm I'm i I think that he's good. Um, but maybe ask me again in a couple months when he's having a better stretch. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: I will definitely ask you uh, on purpose at a later date when hopefully he's uh, a little bit harder than he is now. But. Uh, no, on Whistler, I, I'm wh- I kind of with you. I, I don't think I'm I'm as high on him as you are, but um, this is a guy that I I'm glad you, I'm so glad you pointed out the fact that how young he is still. I think people it's all about when you arrive to some Braves fans because you know a lot of people don't follow the minor leagues. They're gonna they're gonna n- remember when you when you came up, and that's all they're gonna remember as to how old you are uh, is how much experience you have at the major league level. You could be a 25 year year old prospect or a 20 year old prospect, and it's all about when you get there for some of these people so it's yep. uh that's that's important to note that Worcester still got a lot of growing to do he's still very young so Adonis Garcia was a
1: rookie last year
0: Hector Oliveira was 30 and was considered to be a prospect it's one of those things where like you saw some stuff on the internet even like people that you know I, I'm, I, that get paid to do this they were talking about prospect H- Hector Oliveira and it's like guys he's 30 he's 31 years old like he's not a prospect anymore so it's all about uh especially for pitchers man like Seasoning helps, and I think we've seen already massive strides from Whistler, like you said. He couldn't get lefties out last year. It was tough to watch, honestly. And now he's got some weapons against them, um, so he's not helpless against them, which is nice. Um, And you've seen that. um, But barring this this most recent stretch, he's not been good. But before that, he was pitching much better, and um, I think there's a a lot to like there. Couple more uh, quick hitting guys on the pitchers. Um, we you mentioned John Gant a little bit. Gant is not one of these guys that we generally talk about um, in the elite prospect camp, but he's been fairly impressive recently. Uh, had a lights out uh, outing against the Mets last week. Um, now has a three point seven three FIP in uh, 20, twenty-eight innings this year. Um, Gant again not not a popular guy. But what do you what do you think about John Gant? Is that a, a long term starting option for this team, or is he more like in that long reliever mold?
1: If he is, I think it's a five roll, but um, I will say this i 'm kind of surprised that his strikeout numbers have translated uh, at at Gwinnett this year ten strikeouts per nine innings he 's at nine point two one in the majors i mean he's striking out more than a, a guy per inning. Um, I thought that was pretty surprising because um, doesn 't necessarily have like the best of stuff, but I think he's done a pretty good job obviously he's gotten the gotten the opportunity because they have some injuries with Perez and Ftonneevich but Overall, I think he's a decent prospect. He can obviously work as a long guy out of the pin if they needed him. Um, And how about this front office going and trading Kelly Johnson twice and Juan Uribe once and walking away with Gant, Rob Whalen, and a pretty high ceiling reliever and Akil Moore? I mean, they've done pretty well in trading Kelly Johnson. (laughs) They, yeah, that's a that's a win. I mean, even if they just
0: got Gant for what they for what, Given the circumstances of when of when they dealt Johnson versus anything else, like. They basically signed Kelly Johnson this year just to trade him. Like that was the, I mean, oh, yeah. in the end, like I mean, he obviously played some and was productive at times, but like that was, that was the end game. Like you, you signed the guy knowing that somebody somewhere would trade for Kelly Johnson,
1: and they did. And he came, and he came back to haunt them. Uh, yeah, they, he
0: certainly did last night. Oh, was that, was that last night? Yeah, it was, I think it was. I
1: did like, I did like Julio Turan using his bat. Did you see that?
0: I did. Uh, I like Julio. Julio doesn't care, I don't think. It's great. I like, yeah, I love that about Leo. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, no, John Gant, you know, he's, again, US, he's probably a five. I think that's, that's true, but that's, that's a guy who can be valuable. I mean, and they got him basically, like you mentioned, for basically nothing.
1: If his strikeouts are going to stay this high, um, I actually do like him out of the pin as a long guy. Um, and I like big time strikeout numbers coming out of the bullpen. Um, and that isn't always the case, um, with this phrase <sighs> bullpen. True. But, um, the, I, I think if he can keep that up, um, it's very promising for him to have a role, if not in Atlanta, um, to have a successful major league career somewhere.
0: For sure, I'm with you on that. Um, we're only a couple we're a couple weeks out now from the Major League Baseball draft, but obviously we haven't talked to you about this. Um, we'll focus on the top three guys for now. Um, you, you mentioned Ian Anderson earlier. I was going to ask you who, who's your favorite of the of the three guys the Braves got in the, with the, uh, the the three big deals. And uh, beyond that, what do you think about basically uh, the overall approach that the Braves did to uh, you know, sort of lowball their way with a number three pick and sort of pick up two top 25 prospects later in the draft? Um, also, at the end, uh, if you could slot these guys in, um, w- even if there's not specifically, but in the tiers, like where does is, where is Ian Anderson compare to a guy like Fulty like you mentioned earlier? Where, where do these
1: guys slot in for you? Did you just hit me with a three-part question? I certainly I to, did, and it was it was, <laughs> it was okay. not well
0: executed either, so I apologize for that.
1: But all right, my uh my favorite of the three picks, um, I like Wentz. Uh talking with him when he came and signed, um, he I mean he definitely has the frame. Uh perfect ERA this season in 6A Kansas ball, um 0.00 ERA. Um, Brian Bridges really talked about his fastball command and just the way he can move the fastball around the zone. Uh, again, I think a lot of people overlook Anderson because they think of him as this, as this basically discount at number three. So they're like, oh, they just got him because they could sign him. Uh, it's 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 imperative that we point out that Ian Anderson was higher rated than both Wentz and Muller for a reason. Yes, please, um, please
0: say that because we're, we're hearing the same thing every day about how Ian Anderson is this like, kind
1: of throwaway guy when they're talking about the two lefties. I, I promise crazy. you he's not. And when you talk about Brian Bridges, you have to understand that the Braves had their pick of the litter with pitchers. They came into the draft ahead of them went Mickey Moniak to Philadelphia, Nick Sinzel to the Reds. They had any pitcher on the board they could have picked. And Maybe this is a little smoke and mirrors for Brian Bridget. He said he picked the best pitcher on the board. They really like Ian Anderson. Of course, he got the Mike Messina comps, which are, you know, comps take them with a grain of salt. But, um, for me, when I see Ian Anderson, I, I like the projectability of his frame. I just think he needs to eat a couple biscuits, um, 170 pounds. That won't Um, be, that
0: that won't be a problem.
1: That that won't be a problem. They need to, they need to feed this child. Um, but, uh, Muller is the most physically impressive of the three, but he uh, a little bit more inconsistent. Not only with his command, but also with his velocity. He's just more of a he's just a freak um, is the best way to put it. Like this guy was Gatorade National Player of the Year. He's a, he's a beast, but um, he has a lot of work to do mechanically and stuff like that. So I'll go with Wince um, as far as where they are going to slot in this system. Um, I think right there around where Colby Allard was. Um, Colby Allard. Um, Brian Bridges said that last year he was the top prep pitcher on their board. They really liked him and he did have a couple health issues with the back. Um, but Colby Allard pretty much around the number five range in this system. I think Ian Anderson could maybe go a little higher than that. And Winston Muller a little lower. Um, I think Muller definitely a little bit lower down the pipeline. Maybe when you look at slot him around guys like Max Freed, um, but overall, I think they're top ten prospects. They'll probably move a couple guys out. Of course, guys like Malik Smith and Aaron Blair will move out of the system eventually. Tyrell Jenkins could move out. But um, no, these are elite prospects. You know, these are, these are three of the top five prep arms, six prep arms available in the entire country. So, um, so yeah, I think they're good. And I went off and forgot the last part of your question. It hit me with the other one. What did I miss? I think you got them all. I think we're good. Okay, good.
0: Uh, and, you know, I appreciate that. It was, it was excellent from you. No, we've talked a ton about those guys, so I don't even need to say what I think about them, but I, I'm pretty much in line with you on everything that you said there. I just, I'm glad you said that all about Anderson. Cause I, I it's, it's felt, it's felt like he's been a, he's been a throw in. That guy's going to be really good. I think, he's, um, he's a really good
1: prospect. He's, he's very, very good. I think he was 11th, um, on MLB pipeline going into the draft, uh, he was, a, he was a
0: late riser too. That's one of those things right. where like people that were studying the draft going in, he might have been like in the twenties, thirties, um, like a couple of months ago, which makes it even. It's one of those things where you immediately assume he's a reach because of the fact that he was ranked that way three months ago. Uh, as someone who just covered the NBA draft, I had that same thought. Um, it's all about where you go in mock drafts as to where as as to whether oh, the value course. is good. That's uh, mock drafts rule the day. So that's no, but
1: uh, yeah, I mean, elite command as a high school pitcher. And, uh, you know, I joke about his weight, but it's actually – you could consider it a good thing because if he puts on 20 pounds Starts of muscle rolling. in the next year or so, you could see a jump in his velocity. Um, again, I, I'm really high on Ian Anderson, but um, after seeing the three, I will go with Wentz. Um, you know, I, I think that um, he's probably my favorite of the three.
0: Uh, cool. And uh, two – let me yeah, – I'll throw two more at you here real quick. Uh, we, got, we got a mailbag question from Caleb Coos. Uh, basically, what are the chances that the, that the Braves do not sign Kevin Mayton or Mayton, however you say his name? Um, he's the, for those who don't know, he's the 16-year-old um, who's considered to be the number one international prospect right now And in the uh, international signing period, is rapidly approaching. Um, everybody assumes the Braves are going to sign him, but nothing is a sure thing at this point. So uh, what, what are the chances that the Braves actually don't come away with him? And uh, is there anybody else that, in the signing period that really jumps out to you?
1: Um, I will say it's a 1% chance. And I base that that, seems, that I, seems high. I base that on uh, experts. You know, I'm not an expert in the international, so I don't get to go to... I, even As much as I would like to, I don't get to get paid to go to Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. That would be wonderful. Um, but based on all the experts, I mean, this guy's on the internet wearing Braves clothing every day. Um, it's been the worst-kept secret in the industry for basically a year now that he is going to sign. The only thing I could think of is if some team... Just comes in and throws, you know, just just backs up the truck and tries to woo him at the last minute. But overall, I think that that's pretty set, Um, and that's a big deal. You know, everybody that says, you know, why did the Braves spend, you know, three their three top draft picks on more pitching when they already are overstocked in the farm system? If they pretty much know that they have this guy, he is the best amateur hitter or best amateur bat available this summer. There, nobody that was available in the draft is as, has as high of a ceiling as this guy. Um, so you can look at the Miguel's, uh, Miguel Sano and Miguel Cabrera as his comps. Um, but this guy is 16, six foot three. He's, he, he's a freak. Um, and he's been on the radar for way too long of a time for it to be a miss. So um, if they can wrap him up, it's basically like having the number one pick in the draft and, and drafting him. So um, I, I, he's he's the number one guy that stands out to me. John uh, John Coppola was on, I believe, Jonah Carey's podcast. I don't know if you heard this. You get to listen to that. I did. It was phenomenal. And he got to say that he is going to quote go crazy in the inter- international signing period. So uh, it remains to be seen just how far above their slot they're going to pay this this summer. But um, that's just a week away. It's it's hard to imagine what this uh, what this farm system is going to look like. I, I think the biggest question for experts out there, like Keith Law and everybody, will be if they do sign uh, Kevin Meintown, will it be? Will he be their number one prospect? Will he jump Dansby Swanson? That would be my big question.
0: Yeah, especially with, you know, you're talking about a 16-year-old 16, yeah. versus was Dansby's what, 21?
1: Uh, 22. 22,
0: uh, yeah. Two. I mean, you're talking about, that's a big developmental gap between of, of those six years, but that, that just tells you how good this, how good this kid's supposed to be. That's right. even a discussion, considering Dansby was a number one overall pick in the draft a year ago. I'm,
1: I'm assuming no. I'm just, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm I would playing, assume playing that death. too.
0: But the fact that it's even in a discussion is comical. Like, the kid's sixteen years old. And I'm also thinking about a, a, a guy we talked about a lot on this podcast that was a sixteen-year-old international signee of the Braves named Julio Tehran. Um, so it's this stuff happens, man. Like, this is a big deal, uh, and I'm really excited. Um, to get this guy, avail- you know, get this guy around the organization. It's as you mentioned, it's been unofficial for a long time. It feels like that we've been using pictures on our site with him in the Braves uniform for, <laughs> I feel like six months at least. So uh, getting him avail- in the system would be a lot of fun. And um, one more for you, Zach. Um, who is your guy among among Braves prospects? I think everybody has their their guy, not necessarily the best player in the system, but possibly, you know, your favorite player or somebody that you're higher on than everybody else is.
1: Right. When you, when you sent this question earlier, I just assumed that basically we're going to skip over the Swanson and Albies of the world, but yeah, don't use um, those guys. Yeah. I mean, that's those guys project to be um, stars, but I think one of the guys that really stands out to me is Mike Soroka. Um, He's just, I thought he was somewhat overlooked heading into the season. Um, You know, this is a first round pick um, has an excellent frame Um, this is one of those guys that when you talk to some guys around the front office, they've really started to, um, go in the direction of these cold weather pitchers because they don't have that much mileage on their arms. And he definitely fit that mold coming out of Canada. Um, so he, uh, I thought he made just excellent progress, at least from, from when they drafted him right around this time last year to now, um, just absolutely dominating a ball as an 18 year old. Um, I just think that he has a lot of upside because he's still just getting a feel for his mechanics. He's getting a feel for um, just how to pitch in professional ball. Um, so I, I think Mike Soroka is a guy that's going to leap up prospect lists, um, if not midseason, then sometime this winter. I think he's turned a lot of heads. And um, yeah, the, the Canadian's done some work. So go Raptors.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think it's funny that uh, our own Eric Cole had the same answer as you. I oh, asked, did I this question, sorry, Eric. No, no, he loved he loves Soroka, and I think um, it's funny. Uh, Soroka is a victim of mock draft uh, issues, also. I think um, a lot of the stuff with him flying under the radar is that people didn't know who he was when the Braves took him. It was one of those things where, yeah, he's a first round pick, and you mentioned that, and Eric mentioned that, but you know, he was not linked to the Braves uh, in mocks. He was not supposed to be that high of a pick, and people didn't. He kind of came out of nowhere, but. You know he's been awesome in his first year in the system, and like this is a guy with real talent and real stuff that could be very, very scary. Good that you don't really hear a lot about. He's not one of the guys you hear about first. Even you know Colby, even the guys that are his age like Colby Allard get more attention. But Soroka is going to be a monster, maybe.
1: Yeah, and he could have been. You know he could have been the product of uh, because they they signed Allard over slot by a little bit, so he could have been the product of they could have signed him a little bit cheaper. But um, overall, do not be surprised when as they move forward. Um, you start to see more and more of the the front office, whether it's in 2017 and 18, they just really like cold weather pitchers, and they saw it a little bit with Ian Anderson, um, you know, coming out of New York. I know that he traveled on the summer ball circuit, but um, that's something that Bridges has brought up a lot: is these cold weather pitchers. They don't have the mileage on the arm; they're not throwing curveballs at nine years old year round. Um, so that he kind of fits that mold, and I think that the growth that you see out of him this season is kind of a product of that. He hasn't pitched that much. And now that he's in just his first full season, we'll see how he does in the second half, if he can be quite as dominant as he has in the first because he's never pitched year-round. But, yeah, overall, uh, that would be my pick. So good pick, Eric. Way to go.
0: Yeah, I I feel encouraged now knowing that you and and Eric are on the same page there. Uh, Zach, we appreciate you coming on, man. Anything you want to plug for the good folks
1: over there at Fox Sports? Oh, no. Uh, we usually do, you know, some podcasts, the Chopcast, and we have some Braves coverage. And, you know, we, we, we re-talking Chop, and we just kind of try and stay with, stay up with the time. So um, I will be going to the Fort Bragg game um, next weekend. So that should be interesting to see how they have set all of that up. So I'm sure I'll be doing some stuff from there. So if anybody wants to see what's going on in the first baseball game in a military base, uh, welcome to the club. I don't know what it's going to look like either. Yeah,
0: we're gonna we're gonna be covering that, but not not from not from the building. So uh, follow Zach for sure. Uh, Zach, Zach Zach is an occasional tweeter, but he's a good Twitter follow at Zach underscore Dillard, and uh, obviously one of the best in the business covering the Braves. And uh, we appreciate you coming on, Zach. Uh, I'm to have to have you at back pretty soon. All right, bud. Thanks for coming, man. And uh, please stay tuned for the next episode of the Talking Shop podcast. We'll be back next week. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Chop for all the latest uh, in Braves Country. And uh, yeah, again, just join us next week. Thanks. <laughs>